0: From a political point of view, the ECDC is a really nice case study of European integration because you can watch, intentionally or unintentionally, I don't think there's any point to asking, people construct increasing a long series of incremental small decisions that eventually lead to the creation of the ECDC or something similar to it. You've seen it in tons and tons of fields where you began with a couple of little vertical programs. They're sunsetted because they have to get renewed in a funding program. They do something unquestionably useful. They form a European network. They build some capacity. It's really hard to argue that these are bad things. They multiply. In this case, we get more and more disease-specific programs. We get euro surveillance. And then you start to say, actually, this is not very efficient use of resources. It's not an efficient use of resources in that most things are not well done by time-limited, grant-dependent programs with voluntary secretariats spread all over a continent. And it's not efficient in that, what if a disease comes up for which we don't happen to have a network going? You know, what if if SARS happens? By the time you put Euro-SARS network into a funding plan, we could all be dead, you know? So you create you can call it salami slicing techniques, but you essentially create a presumption that now the efficient thing to do is to create some sort of a European center for the activity. And this is always done in the European Union through networks. You can think of a lot of reasons for that. Now, I would say the politics, therefore, were shaping up that it was not that hard for somebody who was looking for a solution to the problem to say that the next step from all this infrastructure that was built that was in this kind of structurally unstable position was to do something permanent. The problem sort of was anthrax, definitely was SARS. Uh, I don't think there's any indicator by which you can say that SARS and anthrax didn't constitute a public health problem worth solving. So I'll skip over that. And the policy debate, which is where actually people got most heated and when I tried to retrace it which is of what were the set of alternatives that were available. And as I can figure it out, broadly there were three, apart from a French fantasist who wanted to have an enormous research agency that he called CDC. One was people who thought the networks were working pretty well and they should be strengthened and be made more permanent but not create any kind of a job title that I'm the European coordinator for these things. And there were a couple of evaluations by leading academics with bases in the member states that said, this is actually the way it ought to be. Um, In a sense, they were evaluating, if not themselves, at least their friends, and they thought they were doing a pretty good job. A second constituency, as far as I can tell, was people who wanted an agency, and the third constituency was people who wanted the commission to do it. And usually the rule of thumb with European agencies is that you tend to create them precisely because you want to have something where you can constrain what they do because the commission is not the world's easiest thing to constrain. It's a real government, essentially. It's a large generalist organization with budgets and effects on the agenda and so forth. So a lot of European agencies you create when you have something that's technical because then you can cut quite specific deals as to how much autonomy and power they get. Because if you give it to the commission, you get high autonomy and you get high power. Um, If the Commission didn't have those characteristics, we wouldn't have the EU today. Now European agencies, googling ECDC is the most depressing thing you could ever do intellectually because what you find is a stream of really, really bad articles applying badly American political science that is not all that good because they confuse the study of agencies with exercises in quite sterile principal agent theory. But they have a pretty universal conclusion, which is that European Union agencies are weak. They have delegation problems. They are written very, very tightly. Uh, the ECDC has got a pretty high level of autonomy, but that's presumably because it's it would have a real challenge to come up with a way to actually hurt somebody. It can't give that many people orders. This is where I would have used the slide had I had one, because people talk about the ECDC is an analog to CDC in Atlanta I would have put up two pictures of the buildings we've seen multiple shots of the cute little palace in Sweden (laughs) whereas CDC in Atlanta looks basically like if Norman Foster teamed up with Fritz Lang and was given sort of authority (laughs) to design many square miles full of buildings to do things like house smallpox if you prefer harder numbers then uh, there's a lovely shot on Wikipedia that comes up instantly of uh, CDC at dusk and it really looks very ominous If you prefer harder numbers, they've got 15,000 employees, ECDC has 150. We're not talking about the same kind of organization here. And therefore thinking about how these 150 people can get anything done, I brought in a second theory which comes from actually the study of how American agencies get the glamour and authority and power that they are much admired for in certain circles. That's a very simple theory. It says if you're going to make your way in a really complicated system, such as the United States federal government or the European Union, there's two resources you've got to develop. uh, Otherwise, you turn into a talking shop. One is multiplicity. You need to have lots of allies. You don't just want to become a jolly for local government officials. You don't just want to become a service agency for unions. You don't just want to become an opportunity for Mediterranean countries to get together and drink wine. You want to have lots and lots of allies so you can survive and profit from each thing that happens. You, they, you want to be them to be versed in as many ways as possible. Multiplicity—that's called. The other attribute you want as an organization is you want uniqueness. You want your advice to be special. You want your advice to be something that you can't—that the politicians can't get anywhere else. Now, if you think about this, this is useful for a couple of reasons one is that it spells out the rivalry, it it brings forth the rivalries that we've been talking about. Because when you talk about uniqueness, there's two obvious rivals to the ECDC. One is, we've talked about the WHO, and that's almost structural. There's a finite amount of space for international organizations to talk about communicable disease threats in Western Europe. And I enjoyed reading the different accounts of what exactly the division of labor was supposed to be. The other thing is it highlights that there are real rivals from the point of view of the member state politicians who make most of the decisions that we really care about, such as who gets vaccines, and those rivals are whatever they've got at home. And in some of these countries, I frankly wouldn't be too impressed by anything I've got at home, but on the other hand, if I had the HPA, or St. Institute, I think I might choose to listen to that instead of 150 people in Stockholm. So on the uniqueness it highlights who the rivals are and the extent to which there's a necessary rivalry. And one of the things we find with other agencies, signaling the European Medicines Agency, is you can get real synergy between powerful member state agencies that like working in a European Union level agency. It doesn't have to be a rivalry in the way that it's very hard to see ways that the WHO and the ECDC aren't structurally rivals. Now in terms of multiplicity, I phrase it in terms of asymmetry we've seen that there's an, every single presentation has referred to the fact that the European Union member states have both wildly different organization and wildly different capacities of all sorts. And in many ways, the ECDC seems to benefit from a politics in which a lot of member states would like some help, even if they don't want to get up and publicly say that they're a mess. And there's a good supply of member states, basically people with, board, with uh, North Sea coastlines, who really think they're great and kind of enjoy having a stage on which to tell everybody how great they are. The more North Sea coastline you have, the more susceptible you seem to be to this, actually. So that, that's my uh, <laughs> geological independent variable. Now how do you get this, given that you've got 150 people? And some of them are presumably translators or janitors or librarians. You've got to make the networks work. My closing line is that Europe is trying to do, once again, as it has in so many other areas, with networks, with what most people do with straightforward hierarchy. Most people, they want communicable disease control, they, buy, they build themselves a big agency. They buy the people, they buy the building. Europe can't buy much of a building and can't buy that many people. And that 150 to 15,000 ratio only starts to look less than comical when you start counting in all the other people who are doing good work on these glamour issues. So you rephrase the question is, in order to get your uniqueness as the European authentic voice and your multiplicity of allies, you've got to persuade people essentially to give you their networking capacity. This happens formally in that we watch these networks get moved out of whatever basis they were built on into ECDC. So in a sense, if you're part of that network, you've got ECDC no matter what you might think. But also, a lot of these things happen informally. Academics like to talk to each other. People have telephones. They don't need a formal program in order to, talk to, in order to communicate. So in a sense, the test for ECDC is to make itself, I say, the hub. It's got to be a place where you can connect with the resources you need. Mathematically, 100 experts out of Stockholm can't fix everything that is there to be fixed in post-communist Europe alone. But on the other hand, they can be a very, very good hub in which to plug the Eastern Europeans, especially, into the networks of people who can supply whatever it is they want. I'd say, by and large, the ECDC is explicitly pursuing this strategy, essentially, of trying to position itself in pre-existing networks, of trying to add members to those networks, you know, fishing people up from countries that have no capacity on a given issue, and over time, of multiplying those networks. And so I think that points us to what it will take to make ECDC a success as against one of the various not very useful things that governments create over time, which putter along and tend to degenerate into expense account jollies, basically the extent to which it can get people to want to share data and work through the ECDC more than they're actually obliged to do by the regulation governing the agency the extent to which it can deliver all of this capacity and all the things that get asked of it, especially by people who confuse it with CDC, depends on the extent to which it can really truly make people who command the resources across the continent want to share those resources, and the extent to which it can trigger mechanisms that build those resources. And that's my final point, which is in political science and the world, and especially bureaucratic politics and especially the sometimes juvenile politics between international organizations, we talk about wielding power. Who gets to wield the amount of power that exists? And that's very much the tone of a lot of the things you read about the WHO and the ECDC, is there's a finite amount of power, who gets it? And that ignores the much more impressive political skill, which is creating power, which is adding to the sum total of power that there is. And insofar as Europeanization works in, I'd say, any field and in this field, creating power involves, for example, creating a normative expectation that the Slovaks should really start to get their act together, something that could be mobilized by Slovak advocates within the Slovak government, something that can be mobilized in Brussels by people saying that we should give some more money to the Slovaks to build this kind of capacity. That sort of creation of power, of creation of a European framework and the new opportunities to get stuff done that come with it. So it's not just the ECDC's ability to make itself a unique organization with many networks and allies as a way to wield the power that exists. It's actually its success in large part will be based on the extent to which it can create new European power to fix at least some of these problems.